Okay, let's begin in prayer in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Heavenly King, Comforter, Spirit of Truth, who art everywhere present and fillest all things, treasury of good things and giver of life, come and dwell in us and cleanse us of all impurity and save our souls, O Good One. God, our Lord, we ask the grace that all of our intentions, actions, and operations be directed purely to the service and praise of your divine majesty. In nomine Patri Sifidi, Spiritu Santi, Amen. So I might suggest tonight that you put the phones in airplane mode, not because I have anything that important to say, but just because you're going to be doing some meditating. And as you're going to be doing some meditating, we just don't want like cell phones going off and texts coming in and stuff. So mine's in, mine's in airplane mode too. Most of you probably know today is a first Saturday. And there's a few things involved included in the Fatima devotion. One is reception of Holy Communion and confession within either eight days prior or after. Secondly, is you pray five decades of the rosary. And thirdly, you spend 15 minutes in meditation on the mysteries of the rosary. So isn't that interesting that Fatima includes mental prayer? I don't think most people remember that. We always think of the fasting, the sacrifice, the rosary. But Fatima actually includes mental prayer. Now, there's a little bit of a debate out there because when you hear meditate for 15 minutes on one of the, on the mysteries of the rosary, some people think that means all 15 decades and 15 minutes, but that wouldn't really be meditation, would it? Because it'd be one minute for every mystery. So that's not really meditation. So I'm gonna read you something here from a priest named Father Dooley. He wrote a little book called Rosary Meditations for Fatima Saturday. He wrote this in 1950. So I'm gonna be quoting you old school stuff. So you know that this has like an intense stamp closer to Fatima in church history. I'm not gonna do a lot of reading tonight, but this is a really good kind of entrance into the shallow end of the pool of meditation, because I think we Catholics hear mental prayer, we hear meditation, and it's a little bit scary, right? I don't have the energy to do it. Maybe that's just for priests and nuns. I don't know if I'm doing it the right way. Uh, you know, in the 16th century, there was even some thought that lay people shouldn't be doing this because you could open yourself up to uh, different demons and stuff if you don't, weren't doing it the right way. But I love what Father Dooley writes here, again, published in 1950, because he shows meditation is really within your grasp. Now, I'm not going to do a lot of reading tonight, but I do want to read a couple paragraphs right here because he describes it pretty well. One of the conditions for observing the first five Saturdays as requested by Our Lady is a 15-minute period of meditation upon the mysteries of the Rosary. This quarter of an hour meditating is to be carried out with the set purpose of making reparation to the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Now, for many a soul, the word meditation is a forbidding word. It conjures up the hooded figures of Trappists or solemn-faced religious huddled together in the appalling silence of a monastery or convent, Traditionally, the ordinary run of the laity disassociate meditation with their day. In this, however, they are woefully in error. Without knowing it, they are performing this exercise day after day, which subject matter alone making the difference between their meditating and the meditation of the religious. To illustrate, a mother has a sick child. She at once revolves in mind a type of remedy to apply, or she consults a book on medicine, or she ponders on summoning a doctor. She is meditating upon a practical question, namely on how best to promote the good of her sick child. Or vacation time rolls around. The work-weary soul begins consulting timetables, seashore resorts, or the distance to alluring spots of scenic beauty and enchantment. Such a one is meditating, that is, pondering upon a certain topic with reference to his own pleasure in this case. Now notice, contemplation is higher. Contemplation is something only God can give. Meditation, Father Dooley is basically saying here, is just thinking a lot about a topic. And I think that's important. It's not saying there's nothing supernatural attached to this. It's just saying it's within your reach. That's his whole point right here. Now, now we switch to the religious topic. He says, in religion, we merely change the subject matter. For instance, in the meditations on the mysteries of the rosary, as we have them in the following pages, we may think, for instance, of the birth of Christ. I recall what I have read and heard on the central mystery of the ages. I see Mary and Joseph in the bleak and unadorned cave. I picture to myself the manger, the crude surroundings, 
I hear the tamping of the tapping of the animals, their slow, measured breathing, their restlessness. I observe the ecstatic face of Mary. The next moment, I see her wrapping her firstborn in swaddling clothes. There before me is the desire of all nations in the winsome form of a boy. I adore him. Figuratively, I take him in my arms. I caress and fondle him and speak low, sweet love words into his infant ears. Perhaps I say, Jesus, I love you so much. I thank you for being a little one for me. Keep me ever close to you. Let me love you more and more. Now listen to Father Dooley. He answers this whole question on, for those 15 minutes, if you should be meditating on one mystery or 15, minutes, 15 mysteries, he says, Pondering thus on this mystery for 15 minutes, I fulfill the requirements of Our Lady of Fatima and help make reparation to her immaculate heart. Should one mystery, as illustrated above, not suffice for my soul, I take another of the 15 mysteries, or as many as I desire, as long as I spend a quarter of an hour meditating upon its fruitfulness for my soul. Such a meditation will enrich one's soul, will deepen one's appreciation for prayer, and fire one's soul with greater devotion towards Our Lady. So is it closer to one or closer to 15? It's actually closer to one. You should probably, if you're going to do 15-minute meditations, try on that first Saturday to meditate on just one of the mysteries. But as he points out, if you need to move to another one, that's fine. Now, we priests and nuns should be doing somewhere between 30 minutes and two hours of mental prayer a day. We can kind of tackle in the question and answer period if y'all should be doing 15 minutes or 30 minutes. But sometimes if you have 30 minutes as the goal, you can just drop the whole thing and be like, we can't do that. So I'm going to tell you this. It's fine to aim for 15 minutes if you're just starting at this, right? You're going to bring this home to your families. You're going to teach your kids how to do this. There's obviously more fruit at 30 minutes, but a lot of the time... Kids can't do that, can't get up, people up that early in the morning. So keep in the back of your mind here, 15 minutes. Uh, is a, it's a pretty good goal there. I'm going to teach you two different methods for mental prayer here. But before we do this, I want to show you why mental prayer is so important. St. Alphonsus Liguori says, It is impossible for him who neglects meditation to live without sin. I'm going to use those two words, meditation and mental prayer. We hear the word mental prayer and we think of it as very heady. But the heart and the emotions are incredibly united to this. So mental prayer just means meditation on the Gospels. Keep that in mind. Father Ripperger talks about this. He says, one of the very best ways to make sure you don't end up needing, say, minor deliverance for oppression or obsession or, or something worse is meditation. Why is that? Because, you know, demons don't come in through your nose or through your ear. They come in through the imagination, Right? And so when you fill your imagination with Jesus and Mary, it's quite impossible for demons to come there. So this is one of the, you know, there's a lot of questions out there. How do I protect my kids? I don't want you to do meditation primarily to keep demons away. It's primarily to love Jesus, right? But it is an extra bonus here that it is extreme protection against your family or for your family against demons because meditation See, something's got to fill the brain, right? Nature abhors a vacuum, but so does supernature abhor a vacuum. If you don't fill it with something, something else is going to come in there. Sometimes I talk to traditional families. They, they say, oh, my, our kids, they're not finding you-know-what on the Internet. Yes, they are. They are finding it. Um, in fact, that's why the Diocese of Lincoln has this book called... Uh, um, good pictures, bad pictures for six to nine-year-olds. And it's not about if, but when kids find this stuff, how to go talk to your parents about it. And now, unfortunately, they have the junior version of that for three to six-year-olds. And this is coming out of the Diocese of Lincoln, right? So, so it's not if, it's, it's when the kids find this. And so this is a good book on how to, like, hand, you know, go talk to your parents about this stuff. Um, but my point on this is, Filling the minds with meditation is so important for staving off evil. It's not the main reason, but it staves off evil. Matthew 12, 45 talks about a demon who leaves, but then, quote, it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that person is worse than the first, close quote. Now listen to this quote from St. Teresa of Avila. She says, the devil knows that he has lost the soul that perseveringly practices mental prayer. We're used to kind of hyperbole nowadays. 
the saints back then, 500 years ago, especially a, San, a Spanish saint, they didn't talk in hyperbole. She really meant it. Let me tell you that again. St. Teresa of Avila. The devil knows that he has lost the soul that perseveringly practices mental prayer. How do we come to know God on earth? St. Thomas Aquinas teaches that beatific knowledge has to do with two things, the divinity of the Trinity and the humanity of Christ. You can look at John 17, 3 later. But how do you possibly know the Trinity on earth? Well, St. Thomas Aquinas teaches we come to know the divinity through the humanity of Christ. Think about what that means. By meditating on the humanity of Christ, you come to know the divinity of Christ. By meditating on the humanity of Christ, you automatically come to know the divinity of Christ. Why is that? Because of the hypostatic union. Christ is one divine person, 100% human, 100% divine. Okay, last thing before teaching you the two methods. Traditionalists are often hesitant to enter into a prayer this personalized with this much affection and emotions and even conversation with Jesus and Mary. And I don't blame them. You, me, we're all, I just we should think we should probably say Catholics, right? Um, I don't blame anyone for this hesitation because we come from a Protestant country where everyone is like, and then like Jesus, tell me this, and then Mary, tell me this. And I, you know, we hear people just like talk so shallowly about these things. And so we have an allergy to that for good reason. Maybe some of you have heard of that uh, playground in Philadelphia. They had these uh, big toys all set up, these jungle gyms, and the kids didn't really want to plan it because it was next to two really busy streets. But then they put up like big strong fences around it and then the kids actually played all around the playground very, very freely. And that really shows you what doctrine does. When you have doctrine in fencing this type of prayer, then you can actually be really free. And this is why actually traditionalists like yourselves are really the very best to be doing this type of prayer because you've studied catechesis. You're actually the people I worry least about entering into being really creative and conversation-based in prayer because you know your catechesis. You know if your kid says something like, well, St. Joseph told me to go join the megachurch down the street. No, 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 that's, that's wrong, right? You're going to know when your kid says something weird, okay, that's wrong, right? But kids are so pure of heart. That's why they're so good at this. And so what I'm going to do is tonight I'm going to teach you how to do it yourselves. Don't just think how you're going to teach your kids, because I want you to try it tonight. But you're going to be really shocked when you realize how good kids are. Rebecca was telling me she does my method that I just got from Ignatius and Teresa Bava with her three-year-old. And like the three-year-olds are entering into really deep theology and really beautiful conversations with Christ. So don't be afraid to bring this to really young kids. It's, it's really beautiful because when you give them the pathway of the gospel, um, their hearts are so pure, it comes pretty naturally. They're actually, and again, I'm, I'm hesitant to use terms like this in a really charismatic culture, but they're like almost automatically mini mystics. Back to that playground. It's because you guys know, you ladies know doctrine um, that is pretty, uh, pretty safe. Someone who went to Franciscan University of Steubenville said he was at one of those FOPs, um, uh, festivals of praise, and he said, he saw a guy go up to a woman and say, Jesus just told me to divorce, you should divorce your husband and come marry me. Um, now this guy, he hasn't made it to the traditional world. He's still kind of in the Franciscan world. Now, I'm not ripping on, they do some great things at Franciscan. He's still in that world. And he told us that story. But that kind of shows you why we as traditionalists have a little bit of an allergy to this conversation with Christ because we don't know what wacky idea is gonna come out from someone's mouth, right? But because you know the faith, you don't have to be so afraid. And here's the big key to why not to be afraid. What I'm going to teach you tonight is how St. Ignatius of Loyola taught his men and how Teresa of Avila taught her women. That's, that's why you don't have to be afraid um, of what we're doing. St. Ignatius of Loyola says this. We must, this is his rules for thinking with the church. This is number one. St. Ignatius of Loyola rules for thinking with the church. Just put this on the back burner. This is, this is the fence upon, up, around which this uh, kind of the play of the conversation with Christ is going to be around this. And this isn't the key part of the talk tonight, but I just want you to know why it's safe. 
St. Ignatius says, we must put aside all judgment of our own and keep the mind ever ready and prompt to obey in all things the true spouse of Christ, our Lord, our Holy Mother, the hierarchical church. In other words, what he's saying is when you enter into Ignatian prayer, when you enter into discernment of spirits, the number one guide is always what the church has perennially taught, not modernist ideas. What the church has always taught, that is your playground as you enter into this conversation with Christ. See, a lot of people think of Ignatian prayer because the Jesuits are so wonky right now as just anything goes in emotions. But when Ignatius wrote this, he didn't mean a willy-nilly sense of obedience to just any time in history. He meant what the church has always taught, that has to be your parameters for this conversation. Doesn't mean you're listening for Jesus to tell you St. Thomas Aquinas Summa when you guys are talking. Might happen, but these are the parameters. And, just, and that's why I tell you this, so you know it's actually a very safe method. Okay, so there's two methods. The first is a study method, and the second is the imaginative method. The study method, we're just going to call that the method of St. Bruno. The method of St. Bruno is apophatic. It's very quiet. It goes by way of negation. You don't use your imagination. It's not about what you see, smell, taste, hear. It's just studying the words and like going really deep on a couple words. And some of you will find that's the way you really connect with God. There's a bunch of saints that like the apophatic method. That's totally fine. The second word that I'm going to teach you tonight is the imaginative method. This is the method of St. Ignatius. It's also what St. Teresa of Avila taught her nuns. This is where you generously use your imagination. What do you see in the scene? What do you smell in the scene? What do you hear in the scene? Even what do you feel in the scene as you enter into this? St. Ignatius has people meditate on the flames of hell licking their feet as they enter hell. He wants you to meditate on if you went to hell. Most of it's a lot more beautiful than that, but it's a big, big bandwidth of things you meditate on. And so um, don't be afraid if you find one of these two methods you like, because there's a whole grouping of saints that likes the apophatic method that just looks at the words, and there's a whole grouping of saints that likes the imaginative way. It doesn't mean you're better or worse, whichever way. It's just kind of how your brain is wired. We're going to start with the study method and kind of spend maybe less <coughs> time on it than the imaginative. And why is that? The reason for that is because tonight, y'all named the talk um, family mental prayer, mental prayer for the family. And because kids are so good at the imaginative way, I'm going to put the emphasis on that. It's not because I think it's better. It's because I'm going to prep you to teach your kids the imaginative way because they're just really good at it. So we will start with the study method and then move on to the imaginative way. I'm going to see if Y'all can actually uh, do it. So the apophatic, we'll just call it the way of St. Bruno. Um, there's five steps to this. And I'm going to give you, the, uh, I have a bunch of flyers here explaining both methods. I don't want you to get caught in the weeds of some of this kind of advanced vocabulary because it's really easy to do this meditation. That's what I want you to take away from tonight is it's actually really easy to do. Um, so I will give you flyers at the end of the night with the five steps of St. Bruno and the four steps of St. Ignatius. Again, these don't come from me. I'm going to give you these so you know I'm not making this up. Um, but we're going to look through uh, the way of St. Bruno first. So this is the apophatic way. This is the way of study. And what we're going to do tonight for both ways is John 21. This is the resurrection. This is Peter and John and the apostles with Jesus at the Sea of Galilee. We're going to do that for both methods, and I'm going to walk you through that. Okay, so for the apophatic way, that's the way of uh, St. Bruno. Again, imagination is not really used. Um, The first step is lexio. This is where we get that term lexio divina. This first step is careful study. So step number one is lexio, careful study. Step number two is meditatio. This is where you look for the hidden treasure in what you're reading. Again, you real, it's like a, a cow chewing the cud. You just go deeper and deeper, just a couple words. So like, let's say you pick, I never suggest anyone pick a whole chapter of a gospel. It's much better to pick a half of a chapter of a gospel, if you're in John, really a quarter, because it's so rich, a quarter of a chapter of a gospel every day. And then as you read that single quarter of a chapter of a gospel, go really slowly. So the first step is study it. The second study is that meditation that you look for the hidden treasure. Where is God speaking to you? Third step is oratio. 
St. Bruno says this is where you drive away the evil and keep the good. We have so many thoughts flooding our brain. You want to hone in now on that one sentence right there. And this is where the Holy Ghost gift of counsel is so important because the gift of counsel is to know what to do, think, and say. It's not in any manuals of morals. Because of your baptism and because you're seeking God so intensely, you have the gift of counsel so you can, you can understand this through peace. We can talk in the question and answer about St. Ignatius of Loyola's rules of discernment, but if I had to summarize all of his rules of discernment, it says Satan can imitate zeal and excitement and even joy, but Satan cannot imitate peace. If I had to summarize all of St. Ignatius of Loyola's rules of discernment in one sentence, it would be Satan can imitate joy, zeal, and excitement, but he cannot imitate peace. For some reason, God has not allowed that feeling, that intuition, deeper than a feeling, God has not allowed Satan to imitate that. So when you have peace, you're almost guaranteed it's from God. I don't mean a peace like, you know, just lack of fear when you're actually called to do something. I mean that really deep peace that only God can give. Okay, and then step four of the five for St. Bruno is contemplatio. That's contemplation. That's defined as the look of love. That's really great if you get that. It's normally understood by spiritual writers. Only God can give that. So... You know, you can give yourself meditation, even that, of course, comes from God's grace, but only God can give contemplation, and that's absolute. So meditation is what you enter into. That's where you do the work. Contemplation is what God can give, and that's, that's where you can just put aside the thinking, and you just, it's the look of love between you and God. And then the fifth step for St. Bruno is operatio. That's what to do. That's just a resolution. We're going to talk about, you don't want to overdo resolutions. At the end of your prayer, it's good to have short and few but strong resolutions. Because if you have a new resolution every day, you're going to, you know, at the end of a year, have 365 resolutions. And you're not going to keep any of them. So be careful of too many resolutions. It's better just to have a few and go, and go deep in that. I'm sure many of you know this, but since we're going to look at this charcoal fire where Peter tells Jesus he loves him three times. Most of you probably know this. You know this was a, a chance for reparation because Peter denied Jesus three times at the charcoal fire on that Friday before that, right? So a lot of times we will find penance in our lives, uh, some of the penance that we have to do. It's not just punishment. It's also a chance of love. You can look back at some of the sins of your life and the penance that kind of comes automatic with that, you have to realize sometimes there's actually love. And this is, this is what's so beautiful about this. On Good Friday, Peter denies Jesus three times, and what is he given the chance at the fire to do? To, to say he loves Jesus three times. It's a reparation. We hear reparation, we think kind of dark and intense and it's, and it's harsh and stuff, but what a, what a gentle Lord we have that he gives him the chance at the charcoal fire to, to undo his triple denial, you know? So let's just remind ourselves of Luke 22, 54 to 62, Peter denying Jesus. Then they seized Jesus and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looked closely at him and said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly, certainly this man was also with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately when he was speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. See, that scene in the Passion of the Christ, the Christ was in, uh, within, uh, I don't know, 10 meters of Peter. That wasn't artistic license. It's right in the gospel. Jesus saw Peter deny him three times. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And so this is the same Lord that on Easter Sunday, doesn't berate him for that, but he gives him a chance of love. So here we are on the beach of the Sea of Galilee. They're also around a fire right now. Now we're going we're gonna to get to the imagination method, 
But let's just look at like the actual word since we're going to try the study method first. This is John 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die, yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die, but if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Okay, let's look at this through the eyes of St. Bruno. Verse 15, this is John 21, verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Now, what's really interesting about the Greek, and I know I don't mean to be showing off on the Greek here, but it's just, it's really neat how the study method can actually open up certain words. And so that's why we're going to look at the Greek here. Um, so you can really see that study isn't only an intellectual exercise, but it really plays into how you're going to meditate. So verse 15, this is really interesting. In Greek, it's Simon Ioannou, agapasme. Many of you know the term agape, that's um, unconditional love. Simon Ioannou, agapasme, pleon tuton. Do you love me more than these? But listen to this. This is what's so interesting about his reply. Nai kurie, nai sounds like no in English, but it actually means yes. Kurie, you probably know that. We have that at mass, kurie eleison. So that's yes, Lord, nai kurie. Suoidas, you know, hoti, philose. Philose, that's a different verb, right? The best way I would describe this is, Jesus said, do you love me? And Peter said, I like you. <laughs> now, why couldn't he say that? Because he just denied him three times. He know, he's such an honest man. He couldn't say, of course, I love you with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind. He couldn't say that. Do you love me, Peter? I like you. Right? That's, that's right there in the Greek. Philose. It's a friendship love. He said to him a second time, Simon, do you, son of John, do you love me? Agapesme. And he answers again, Naikurie suoides hote philose. Do you love me? You know I like you. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now this time, this is really interesting. Here Jesus uses the word philes. Do, do you even like me? And this is why Peter was grieved this time. Elopise, he was grieved. It struck him in the heart because it's like, do you even like me? Now Jesus is kind of working his heart to bring out what he knows Peter's going to do for the kingdom. But he, like a good coach, he's got to break him down a little bit here. Do you even like me? And he says, you know everything. Suginoskes, that's where we have the same cognate for cognition in English. Suginoskes. Hotifilo said, you know I like you. You know everything. That's what he says before. The pantasu oidas. You know everything. You know I like you. But then Jesus says, feed my sheep. That's how you're going to prove it as the Pope. That's how you're going to prove it as a priest. That's how you're going to prove it to your kids by bringing a mental prayer and catechesis at home. By feeding your sheep. That's, that's why you bring them catechesis and mental prayer that's how you actually show you love Jesus. It's one of, one of many ways, but it's interesting. This is the primary way here that Peter is going to show love for Christ is feeding the sheep of the entire Catholic Church, everyone that's going to be baptized. Read the Roman Martyrology. It's amazing how many people in the early church will say, this person was baptized by this person who was baptized by Peter. 
He loved this early community of, of Christian Catholics. And then a little bit later, verse 20, Peter turned and saw the disciples. So here they are walking down the beach. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? Verse 21, when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? So I know we're not going to try to use the imagination yet, but I have to say it a little bit. Peter and Jesus are walking down the beach in Galilee, and Peter turns back and he says, Kurie, who does they tea? Which is, I mean, I'm not a big fan of like dynamic translations that try to make everything like hip and relevant, but it really is very close in Greek to, what about that guy? What about that guy? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. This is so beautiful. In autem theu, if it is my will, menein, to abide or to remain, heos ergo erchamai, until I come. And then this line, ti prose, what is that to you? Su moi akuluthe, you follow me. And I love, you know, in this world of social media and the, the churches in so many different striations and divisions right now, it's very easy to go down these rabbit holes on Twitter and all these other things of like all these divisions in the church and stuff. And then we have Jesus say right here, T pro se, what is it to you? What, what this guy's doing, what your neighbor's doing? Su malakule, su, where is that? Su malakuluthe, you follow me. So I love in the study method often going to this. In fact, this was my meditation day because we're supposed to pick one of the 15 mysteries of the rosary to meditate on. So I just did this method and I kind of do a mix of the study in the imaginative way, but I'm kind of more, when I'm reading the Greek, and the study method. So I just focus in on those words right there. You follow me. What is it to you what all these other people in the church are doing? You follow me. You see how the study method, if you, you can read many, many verses, but then you just want to focus in on, a, on, on one verse. And it's amazing. In 15 minutes, you just chew on that like a cow chewing its cud for 15 minutes. And it's really amazing. And then this is what's really great. You can bring this to the rest of your day. I know we think of meditation as exhausting, but we need to stop that. You know how many like new age people have their like weird green drink, get on their mat, and they're so excited for their <laughs> meditation? Like they'll down some <laughs> veggie drink, jump on their mat, and it's like, I start my day with an hour of meditation, and it's so easy and fun. You know, they love it. And we Catholics are like, do I have to? Because it's first Saturday just to like make sure that I fulfill these like what if we were as excited about New Age people for the, their weird meditation as we are to enter into conversation with Christ? They're doing it for themselves. They are doing it for themselves. That's a really, that's a good point. And for that reason, it's easier to swim downstream with the devil than, stream up, than swim upstream, right? But we also are serving God, and they're serving a creature, right? Absolutely. So, so that's where we should be a little more excited. I agree, it's harder because we're swimming upstream, but we should... Love it a little more, right? Okay, so that's the study method. Notice that you just, even if you don't speak Greek, you can just kind of hone in on one word. But the great thing is you can, you can think about that the rest of the day. You can bring it to your rosary. You can bring it to when you're cooking dinner. You can bring it to when you're driving to school or wherever. It doesn't have to be limited to that time. And that way you turn your entire day into mental prayer. I mean, many saints say the, the measure of holiness is how much time you spend in mental prayer. Well, you can't do that as moms. You can't spend two hours in mental prayer, but guess what? You can bring that the rest of your day. Now, I'm not like the 70s priest who say, your work is your prayer. That's, no, no, have you heard that? There is, that what they meant by that is you don't have to pray, you're doing good enough as it is, right? And, and I get why these 70s priests, they, they saw moms working hard and dads working hard, they want to say it, but I'm, but I'm also not gonna sit here and say you have to do two hours a day. Get those 15 minutes in, because if you let that percolate, whatever God shows you in those 15 minutes, you really can bring that to mental prayer the rest of your day. It becomes resolutions. It becomes union with God. It's really beautiful stuff, you know? Okay, let's talk about family meditation. Now we're going to jump into the imaginative way. This is the way of St. Ignatius of Loyola. This is the way of St. Teresa of Avila. Um, this is the way that Rebecca was telling me that her three-year-olds are diving into like really amazing philosophy and theology, and she was telling me about 
questions and answers they're getting. I was like, wait, they're giving questions or answers to God? And she's like, both. They're getting questions and answers. I mean, so it's really amazing. Um, and I'm not, I'm not encouraging, you know, you to just have pseudo-mystics in the family. I just mean if you just say, here's what you picture. Walk down the road with Jesus. What is it like? You don't, they don't, and they don't even have to share. Maybe you have a kid who's private who Jesus told him something really great. What do you tell you? Mm-mm. Okay, just let him have it. Mm-mm. <laughs> they don't want to share. Let them let have an interior life that's just with God, you know? Um, and remember, remember my analogy the playground? Because most of you or all of you are pretty good in catechesis, you have that playground around. In fact, St. Teresa of Avila compared her daughters in Christ's interior life to a playground. She said, um, basically, the world, I can't remember how she put it, but she described this enormous playground that is entirely yours in the interior life. Go have fun. And so if our Lord said, even the hairs of your head are all numbered, fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Think about this. If he, if he cares how many hairs are on your head, nothing is too small to discuss with our Lord at the end of your conversation. What we're going to see in the meditation way is you actually end with a conversation with Jesus. And I know this sounds really Protestant to you, but this is what Ignatius of Loyola, I think Francis of Assisi, I know Francis, Sale, Francis de Sales encourages this. So many saints want you to enter into this. Now, this, the reason why we're not like Protestants in this, you know, a lot of times you'll ask, ask some kid, like, well, what would you do if you saw Jesus? I'd be like, I'd fist bump him and be like, let's have a beer. I know you, you fall on the ground and you should adore him first. He's first your God. But this is why we enter into this way through great reverence. But once we enter into this through adoration and really begging God for the grace of a good meditation, then towards the end, when we've adored him, we really can tell him what we're thankful for, how we adore him, how we love him, and we can include petitions. You know, we don't want to make it just a laundry list of petitions. Just like, you know, if your husband came home from work and all he told you was the things he needs from King Supers, you'd be like, could you maybe tell me you love me before you give me a list? You know, God, God wants to hear how much we love him before we just jump into a laundry list. It's okay to include petitions, but we're going to hear in conversation that this is a real relationship. So we're going to go back to uh, the Sea of Galilee uh, with Jesus at the resurrection. And for Ignatius and Teresa, you really do use all five senses. Um, You want to set this up. Now, the Bible doesn't describe this very much, and that's That's where it's okay to get kind of creative in all of this. Okay, so here we are in John 21, resurrection. It's the beach of the Sea of Galilee. And you're going to use your imagination. Um, You can close your eyes if you're not going to get sleepy, if you haven't had wine. Or you can keep them open, it doesn't matter to me. But I want you to really picture this. If you've ever seen pictures of the Sea of Galilee, if you've ever been there, um, it's it's not deserty like a lot of these movies make it. Uh, If you go to Jerusalem, a lot of it looks more like Napa Valley than it does like Moab, Utah. Um, there, there really is a lot of uh, beautiful um, plants and birds and everything all over, all over the Holy Land. Um, so it's a lot more like California than, than Wyoming, um, with all due respect to Wyoming, just what the Holy Land looks like. Okay, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, so here you are. You're going to actually place yourself around the fire. I don't know if there's 12 apostles. I don't know if it's just, why don't we just make it this? It's Jesus, Peter, the apostle John, and you. It's the four of you around this fire. You're there. And you see Jesus say to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk 
wherever you wanted, but then you, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Okay, now verse 20 starts, it's the very next verse, it says, Peter turned, that word in Greek is turned. So we can assume at this point that Peter and Jesus are walking down the shore of Galilee. And because it's in the original text, Peter turned, it says Peter turned and saw the disciple. We can assume John is right behind them. I don't know if it's five feet or five meters, but why don't you place yourself right next to John? Maybe it's five feet, we'll say. So ahead of you, Peter and John, sorry, Peter and Jesus are walking. And then you're shoulder to shoulder with the Apostle John. It's not a hippie move to just say maybe you're barefoot because they may have left their sandals in the fire. So I want you to picture walking down this beach barefoot. You're next to John. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll put them eight feet ahead of us, a little distance. Jesus and Peter are eight feet ahead of you. You're walking down this beach. What is, what is that like with the sand between your toes as you're walking with John here? Can you just feel this atmosphere of grace of the risen Lord? even just being near the Apostle John. Imagine just this totally blue sky. Maybe there's a couple clouds in it. It's a nice, nice day, maybe 72 degrees. And you're walking. Maybe you had all these memories of the crucifixion. Maybe you were at the crucifixion. Maybe you were one of the women at the crucifixion. And you look down and you see holes in the sand where Jesus' feet have left holes. Or rather, it'd be the opposite. The puncture wounds of the sand coming up right ahead of you. Maybe you had the images as one of the women at the crucifixion who was there. And you're beside yourself in joy that you didn't know he was going to rise. Here Jesus is in front of you. What are you going to say to St. John at this moment? When did you... What are you going to ask him? When did, when did you know? What was that like when you ran into the tomb and, and, and you believed even before Peter? Did you know before then? What if you're Mary Magdalene? Who was with John at the crucifixion? What if, what if that's who you are in this? Can you imagine the, the shock, the ecstatic joy you don't even, you're not even talking to Jesus yet. How would you express that joy to St. John? What would you say to John even before you have a chance? You can see the light shining through the nail marks in his hands ahead of you as he walks. This was the man so disfigured, the Bible said, he was a worm and no man, and now he's standing upright, walking, the radiant Son of God. And now you switch places. Peter falls back to talk to John, and you walk up ahead, and you're shoulder to shoulder with Jesus. What is he wearing? How fast are you walking? Can you smell the Sea of Galilee? Can you smell the anointing the women put on his body still? Maybe you were one of them. What do you tell him about the passion? What do you tell him about being there just a couple days earlier? how you thought you'd never see him again unless, I don't know, maybe if you already believe in the resurrection of the body, maybe in some sense you, you believe you would see him, you didn't know he was God yet. You know he was going to raise himself by his own power. But you're honest about this. What do you tell him as you're walking, what you thought about him being executed? 
Do you hear some seagulls above? Do you even remember eating some fish and bread? Or are you just too excited to talk to your God and your best friend? And then you talk to him about the resurrection. Tell him you love him. Tell him you believe he is the Christ, the son of the living God. Maybe you're one of the people who already believed it before that. Maybe you had to see it to believe it, but you're there now. You believe. Do you just gently grab his shoulder and fall down into the sand? And just kiss those feet with holes in them? What's it like having sand on your lips, but also the feet of Christ? How long could you stay in this moment? Okay, so end the meditation there. Um, just so you know, I'm not being sentimental. I'm going to give you the five uh, steps of Saint Ignatius here that we pretty much did right there, and I'm going to. This is all going to be on the handout. But um, the first step is selection of material in preparation of meditation. Bunch of big words. All it means is just pick a quarter of the gospel. Or rather, pick a quarter of a chapter of the gospel to meditate on. Or you can pick an icon. Uh, you can picture yourself in heaven. I mean, there's so many aspects of our faith. Imagine your first five minutes in heaven if you make it there. That's a great meditation. So, but it's good to do it ahead of time. Don't, like, don't switch it thinking there's something better 30 seconds in. Just picture it and go, for, just pick something and go for it. Because there's always going to be something better to meditate on. So first as you pick what to meditate. It's often good to do that the night before so you don't, like, you know, go through the Rolodex in your mind of all the mysteries of the faith in every chapter of the Bible. It could take you an hour. Okay, one is selected, selection material, two is consideration. And this, is, this comes from Father Peter, the old school Carmelite. This was written, he actually conglomerated the method of St. Teresa of Avila in these uh, four steps. And this is by Tan Books. It's an old school book, and I'm telling you this so you don't think this is just modernism with this much personalization. Consideration, number two is consideration. Who is here in this scene? What is he doing? Why is he doing it? What does it mean to me? That's all going to be on your flyers that I hand out. But notice, this is really why your kids are so good at this, or I should say why your kids are so good at this, is because they're so pure of heart. Their imagination's clear. They don't need a lot of adjectives in the gospel. There's not a lot of adjectives in the gospels. They don't need it, because if you just set it up, they're going to see it. They're almost like mini-mystics, as I said. You don't want to treat them like mini-mystics, like little you know, king babies and all of this. Just set it up, and they're going to get it, you know? So number two, consideration. Who's in this scene? What is he doing? Why is he doing it? What does it mean to me? Three is conversation with Christ. And Father Peter, the old school Carmelite, it's a book called um, Conversation with Christ. If you put that on Amazon, there's a bunch of books. There's Conversation with Christ with Opus Dei, uh, which is actually pretty good. Uh, but the one that I would really encourage, if you like this method, is Conversation with Christ by Father Peter Rohrbach is his name. And this is his description. He says, the soul begins to talk slowly to Christ, telling him of its love for him, its desire to serve him, its willingness to do anything for him. He adores Christ in the scene of the day's meditation. He expresses his love for him, thanks him for past gifts, petitions him for new favors in the future. So that's what I was trying to do for you as you walk down the beach of Galilee. You tell our Lord of your love for him. You fall in the sand and you kiss his feet. Maybe you stand back up and say, I believe in you. Please grant my family this. St. Teresa of Avila even says, you can place yourself in the physical presence of Christ. Talk with him, laugh with him, and confide in him. Instead of using formal prayers, extemporaneously express your interests. This will result in rapid progress. So the beautiful thing is, like, you can bring all this to your rosary. Tonight, Father, let us in the glorious mysteries. Imagine if any of you had any connection with Christ there. Um, 
bringing that to the first glorious mystery, the resurrection. That's totally fine. If you look at the Marian saints, St. Louis de Montfort, St. Maximilian Colby, they really dislike racing through the rosary. It really is for meditation. It doesn't mean you have to like outdo the next person in going slower to show them how pious you are. But you really should be bringing meditation to that. And this is what's so great about this method is you can do that. Um, I have something in my memory for almost all the, all the different mysteries. And then number four is gratitude or resolution. I was reading Divine Intimacy, and it says, uh, actually, it spoke of last week's gospel. Um, Father Nolan preached on that. This is the one with the leper and the nine, and only one returned to give thanks. And our Lord says, thy faith hath made thee whole. Well, this is what Divine Intimacy says. Intimacy says of them. Their want of gratitude deprived them of health of a soul, of soul, a grace immeasurably more precious than health of body. So think about that. You ever wonder that? You have these ten lepers healed, and then one returns, and then Jesus says, Your faith has healed you. And you're like, wait a minute. No, it didn't. The other nine got healed too, and they didn't come back. No, no, no. Divine intimacy says it was his soul that got healed by being full of gratitude. Isn't that interesting? That's what divine intimacy is saying. You're healed when you're thankful. And so the last step is resolutions and or gratitude. And again, it's important if you walk away with this meditation, maybe you have a real clear insight, just something like lightning hits you. You have to change this in your life. Definitely do that, write it down, stick with it, right? But if you have a new resolution every day, you're gonna have 365 resolutions, you're not gonna keep any of it. So maybe buttress old resolutions is a really good option. But I really also love using Thanksgiving at the end of it. Thank God for blessings in your life. Maybe if you had a good meditation, thank him for that. So the last step is either gratitude or resolution. Resolutions keep them few but strong. So like I said earlier, the, the study method is great. The imaginative way is great. It doesn't matter which way you go with. There's a whole group of saints that love the imaginative way. There's a whole group of saints that love the, um, the study way. But when you're teaching your kids, probably some of your kids actually will like the study. I shouldn't actually put them all in the imaginative way. Actually, some of your kids might like the study method more, and that's totally fine. It's just my experience as little kids usually like to picture themselves in these things. And remember my example of the uh, new age person on their mat? Did, did any of you enjoy that meditation? If you enjoyed it then, it, then you see it's not so hard, right? I mean, that was the part, the walking down the beach part, that's the part I didn't write out in the whole thing. I just went with it. And that's what you could do for your kids. I didn't, I wasn't looking at Greek. I didn't write that part out. That's the part you can walk your kids through or yourself through. So if you can't commit to 30 minutes a day, at least commit to 15 minutes a day. If your kids, I, I think most of y'all homeschool, but if they race off to a different school and whatever, time doesn't permit, at least, or some of you aren't married, at least hold yourself to 15 minutes. Now, if you can you know, increase to 30 minutes, great. But whether you're married or unmarried, whether you're a grandma or a mom, um, or, or like I said, not married, try to hold yourself to 15 minutes. If you can encourage your husband to lead in this, um, I'm going to record this talk. You can get it on my podcast. Um, it's really great to have husbands lead this. They're, they're always a little more squeamish than women in leading this stuff, but once they lead it, they're good. They're just more hesitant at first. Like, what? I have to tell my kids how to picture walking down the beach with Jesus. It sounds so fruity, right? But it's... <laughs> Just say, no, this is what Ignatius the warrior saint taught all of his warriors for Christ how to do it. Um, so when men understand this isn't a shallow Protestant thing, they can do it. And then, you know, it's really great because kids get to see dad having this relationship with Christ. And remember, this whole term personal relationship with Jesus Christ, this is a Catholic idea. This is why we're looking at all these saints. Saint Francis de Sales, St. Francis of Assisi. This is how all the saints prayed to have a personal relationship with Christ. That is not a Protestant idea. This is a Catholic idea through and through and through. That's the goal here. A personal relationship with Christ. And it lights your whole family on fire. And everyone you know on fire. This is how Ignatius of Loyola, this is what he taught St. Francis. You know, St. Francis Xavier, when Ignatius of Loyola ran into him, they were both at the University of Paris. Francis Xavier was the high jump record. He's basically a frat boy. 
And he was studying to be a priest, but not a very good one. Ignatius keeps trying to win him, keeps trying to win him, keeps trying to win him. Francis Xavier wants nothing to do with this old limping beggar. Finally, he runs out of money, has to borrow some money. Finally, he agrees to do the spiritual exercises. 30 days long. Gives his whole life through and through and through to Christ. See, this Xavier guy, he never did anything halfway. He was never moderate in, everything, in anything at all. So when Ignatius taught him how to pray and do penance, he went and baptized 500,000 people because of this. That's, that's what he wanted to do for Christ. Can you imagine that? What did Jesus do for me? He died. What am I going to do? I'm going to go baptize 500,000 people. <coughs> go set the world afire. Oh, and Terry asked me to ask everyone. Uh, we do pray at the abortion center every Wednesday. Um, and uh, if you could bring your hearts on fire from this, we would love if you could join us any Wednesday. We, the more people pray in the rosary, the more saves we have. So um, Terry and I are there almost every Wednesday morning, starting around 9 or 10. So if any of you can, uh, can um, you know, that's really the goal of a lot of this prayer is to... Uh, light the whole world on fire with the love and light of Christ. Which abortion center? Uh, thanks for asking. Which abortion center? We are at the big Stapleton one, which is basically 38th in Quebec. It's the third biggest plan. What's that? Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood on 38th in Quebec. It's the third biggest in the world. They have 10,000 surgicals a year, not to mention a chemical. So we could use your prayers out there. I'll give you all a blessing, and then we can enter the question and answer. Dominus Fobiscum. Benedictio Dei Mipotentius Patris Iberi, et Spiritus Sancti, descendit Spiritus, et Maniat Semper. Amen. Oh, and I saw they put out a uh, little basket for my... I, don't, I did not do this talk for my... I don't need money. A lot of you already support me. A lot of you already donate. I don't need any of your money. Uh, I came here just to, to give it for free. So um, I didn't put my little... They were so nice to put donate and all that on it, but I did not ask for that. So. <laughs> Um, okay, any questions on the ways of mental prayer? Yes? Um, you mentioned falling asleep. How do you suggest you avoid falling asleep? <laughs> so the question is, how do you avoid falling asleep? I mean, what are the hours? Yeah. So Ful Archbishop Fulton Sheen said he only made a holy hour after having a cup of coffee. <laughs> so that's one way. Um, different saints had different ways. Some people knelt. I think Ignatius laid on his back or something. He had a weird way of praying. I would fall asleep if I did that. But, but that proves that there's a lot of different ways to do it. No yoga mats. <laughs> yes. No yoga pants. No, no yoga pants. For me. Yeah. Green drinks are okay. Yes. So the, her question was, do you, for the study method, what do you use? The very best is Father Lapidae, Cornelius Alapidae, and he has a set, it's about 250 bucks for the whole thing. You can get the whole thing online for free. It's a little advanced, it's a little antiquated. That's why in my series, and I don't mean to push my series on this because my series is totally free also, but what, what I do is I walk us through all of Matthew's gospel with Father Lapidae, and I, I just try to extricate the most important parts. So my uh, YouTube channel is Padre Peregrino, and, and we're, I'm two or three years in, and we haven't even finished Matthew. So we just do about five to ten verses a day, and I try to do imaginative way and study way, and my main rock for the study way is Father Lapidate, because what he does is he's conglomerating all the church fathers. You know Vatican I says if all the church fathers are unanimous on a topic, it's considered infallible in the church. Did you know that? That's why Father Lapidate isn't just like a nice little devotional. He's, he's quite close to infallible. I'd say 95% of what's in there is infallible. Now, he's clear when the fathers disagree on a Bible passage, but that's why it's so solid. Because it's, um, and then the Catena Rea of St. Thomas Aquinas too. But, but because he has so much to say, I try to take out the most important parts in that. So her question, what do you meditate on? I think the Gospel's really good. The 15 Mysteries of the Rosary is really good. If you have Introduction to the Devout Life by St. Francis de Sales, a good chunk of the very beginning of that book is very much like the Ignatian meditations, heaven and hell, different mysteries of faith. 
I wouldn't meditate on the catechism. I love the catechism. I have two series on the catechism on my website, but it's it's not really the point. I mean, meditation isn't really the goal there. So an icon is good, a statue is good, a mystery of the rosary, um, older New Testament, I prefer New Testament. Um, uh, the meditations of St. Ignatius of Loyola, it's called spiritual exercises or introduction of the devout life. He made that, see, St. Francis de Sales made an introduction of the devout life specifically for lay people. And like I said, the first maybe eighth of the book is all meditations. So as long as you commit yourself to 15 minutes on it, really, really rich meditations in introduction of the devout life. Yeah, the question is how long with kids. That depends on the age. So maybe like really little kids. Rebecca, how much are you getting out of three-year-olds there? Sometimes we'll go for 30 minutes. It depends on the child. Wow. They're very interested. They're very interested. They're very imaginative. So it just has to be the right time of day, I say. What time is the right time of day? We try to do around 3 o'clock when the really little ones are napping. Okay, there you go. Right after they've eaten. I thought she was going to say five or ten minutes, but there you have 30 minutes, right? So... And that's where you can just kind of get an idea ahead of time and then enter into it with them. Like, don't necessarily kind of be there because God's going to work in your life as you're meditating. <laughs> maybe, make it, maybe make the meditation time the same. Okay, mommy and you guys are all going to close your eyes now and we're going to meditate, right? Just pick the day before what it's going to be. And then like, you know, you read the Bible, you may have to fill in a few things like I did. Like, I read you the Bible, but I had to fill in a little bit of the imagination. The kid's imagination can go leaps and bounds often beyond what an adult does, but you kind of have to start them off. That's why I kind of, like I've never thought of that, looking down and seeing the prongs of the sand up where Jesus is. That's just something I saw. I've never said that in any meditation, just kind of saw it following Jesus along, you know? Like, whoa, can you imagine seeing that? Um, so things will come to you as you're leading a meditation. I've never heard that. I've never even thought of it till tonight. So don't be afraid to... Be one step ahead of them, basically. Which translation of the Bible do I like for children? Yeah. So, what would you say? Okay. So this is this is a good question. I I use the ESV slash RSV for my series. Um, some most of my followers online use the Dewey Reams Bible, and I have really good traditional friends who don't like the fact I don't use Dewey Reams. Here's why I don't. Um, because I think it's really easy with the these and the thous to kind of just isolate it into Shakespeare land. Like, it's not like Jesus spoke in a British accent. Just kidding, Father. He didn't speak in, didn't speak in an American accent either. You ever heard, like a, you ever heard a, a European do an American accent? They all sound like Jimmy Stewart on It's a Wonderful Life. Like, really extreme diphthong. They definitely don't talk like those clowns in The Chosen. <laughs> My, I have, you, you all know Layla Miller? Her, her dad was from Palestine, and she goes, it is the worst Palestinian accent I've ever heard. <laughs> so her dad's Palestinian, so I can't stand these fake accents and, and stuff like that. The reason I use ESV slash RSV is because I thought someone might ask this. Let me tell you, there's a... There's two types of translation. There's the formal equivalence, which is word for word, and there's the dynamic equivalence, which is thought for thought. And if you look at what St. Athanasius did when he wrote the life of St. Anthony in the desert, he, he wrote it in a way that was sense for sense. Oh, no, someone had to translate it. The fathers actually do put an emphasis on sense for sense, but Jerome does word for word, which is also really good. Um, so the reason I pick ESV slash RSV is it's a happy medium between the two. Um, it's, it's not as accurate as the Dewey Reams on some things, but it's a little more digestible and it's not as antiquated. It's just the happy medium I do. But go with what your pastors suggest on it uh, because there's a reason that church has promoted the Dewey Reams Bible. I'm careful on doing the ESV slash RSV, but this is why I look at the Greek a lot and the Latin. I try to include the Latin a lot too. So do what your, your, their priests here say, but my series just is the ESV and the RSV. Her question is, can you, can you have two Bibles open? That's, that's how you kind of balance the sense for sense and word for word. That's, that's a really, just don't do like one of those hipster relevant Bibles that's using like dude and stuff. Yeah, but you're pretty safe with those two. Yes, Kate. 
let the kids who want to do it come and the ones that don't, don't come. And when the kids who do it are having really cool, powerful, explosive, peaceful experiences, the other ones are going to want to do it. You see, if you force it, they may not want it. But if, if some of your kids like it, I shouldn't say explosive because like Rebecca kept using the word peaceful. I, I love the fact Rebecca said, if you do this the right way, it's actually really peaceful. So like, if you got kids who don't want to do it and they're not going to be peaceful, let the kids stick around who are. And then that peace is always attractive. You know, all of a sudden it's like, wow, brother, sister came away a lot more happy and relaxed than I've been all day. Maybe I should try this tomorrow. That'd be my suggestion. Let them, you know, let them find it through love instead of fear. Oh, yeah. I probably shouldn't. She said, you sometimes combine both methods. I'll read it in the Greek. I'll study a little bit of the fathers, but I also like picturing myself in there. So really, there's no problem in mixing the two. I think if you're going to mix it, it's going to go like this. And here's, in fact, here's what I do in my series called VLX. VLX stands for Video Lexio Divina. In my VLX series, Padre Peregrino on YouTube, the reason I do study before I do the meditation or the imaginative way is kind of what I explained about these fences around the, uh, the playground. The study is to set up what did the father say about this? What does St. Thomas Aquinas say about this? And then you place yourself in it so you don't have any errors in all of that. In fact, St. Ignatius of Loyola, he really wanted his men to know St. Thomas Aquinas through and through before they went and studied the Bible. Isn't that interesting? Total opposite of what the Jesuits do today. Ignatius wanted the, the Jesuits to know doctrine and then throw themselves in so you don't mess yourselves up. It's fine to be a mystic like all those early Jesuits, but you've got to know your doctrine first so you don't end up a fake mystic. And so that's why we do the study method first and then enter into the imaginative way. So I would suggest that. Yes. One more question, please. Where does divine intimacy fit with Her question is, where does divine intimacy fit? I love that I, I did it first 15 years ago, and I'm doing it again many, many years later. Um, that follows a little bit more Carmelite method. It's, it's closer to the St. Bruno method, because I think St. John of the Cross followed a meditation that was not using a lot of the imagination. I think this was a really big difference, if I remember correctly, between St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila. She loves all the imagination, all five senses involved. I'm pretty sure St. John of the Cross uses the apophatic method of just really dry, going super deep into the darkness. That's his whole thing, right? Finding God in the darkness. Um, doesn't mean he was a dark saint. He was actually probably very joyful. But St. John of the Cross is very much like the Carmelite method where you're not using imagination. Everything is the, um, you go nada, nada. You get to toto, toto, toto through nada, 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 right? And... But here's another difference on divine intimacy. That follows the, the liturgical year, where my series just marches really slowly through the Gospel of St. Matthew. So you could definitely use Saint, uh, sorry, you could definitely use divine intimacy as a study method, but it's probably not too great to teach your kids with it. If, if it's just you, like what I use, I use divine intimacy as my Thanksgiving. After Mass, I read that. Um, and I try to do that on top of my normal mental prayer in the morning. So divine intimacy is closer to the apophatic way of St. John the Cross, but it's following the liturgical year, not a gospel all the way through. Well, thanks for coming tonight. Thank you.